Hello. On this week's Sleep of Faith, in a week where government restrictions on attending Easter religious services will be lifted north of the border, regulations remain firmly in place on the rest of the island. One diocese directly affected by this ruling is that of Kilmore, and joining me now from there is Bishop Martin Hayes. Bishop, we know over the last year that you and your fellow bishops have been very keen on keeping people as safe as possible. But as we approach Holy Week, there's an unusual situation affecting your diocese particularly. My diocese uh, consists of Cavan and part of Leitrim, a little bit of Sligo, a little bit of Meath, and then two parishes in County Fermanagh in Northern Ireland. And in fact, one parish, uh, Kinali, it, it stretches across the border. Swanland Bar is in the south, and then the other three churches are in the north. So that's right, yeah, two parishes are open as of this weekend for liturgies. And what is the advice that you're giving to people when it comes to then attending some of the uh, the Easter services? Because obviously, for people who are here in the Republic of Ireland, they won't be able to do that. Correct. Yeah. And uh, we would have liked, of course, it being Holy Week, a special week in the whole church's year when we celebrate the suffering, death and resurrection of Jesus, that we would have liked to have all our churches open. Because of the fact that as in Holy Week, we're celebrating Jesus facing into his suffering and death, so we are facing uncertainty at this time uh, with COVID. And we have suffered as well over the last year or so. And so uh, for me, anyway, I know it, it was important, if at all possible, that our churches be open. Uh, however, that's not the reality. As we mentioned earlier, they're open up north. And the reason for that, I think, is that um, there's a greater degree of vaccination there and people feel safer because while we would like to be in in the in our churches down south, there are mixed feelings uh, because people are feeling cautious because the the, the amount of um, cases uh, re- remains stubbornly high. Now people have gone to great efforts, of course, in parishes to prepare their buildings and to try and keep them safe. But that's that's where we're at. We're we we would like to be celebrating, but um, there are health concerns there amongst a significant number of people as well. Yeah, now, we have, of course, the, the webcams. Th- that will help. And from the point of view of people who are listening to us this evening, what words of encouragement have you for them? Because it's been an extremely tough period of time, particularly for people of faith who have been unable to attend many of the sacraments. It, it has been particularly tough. Uh, and I suppose we've been journeying through Lent. And as I mentioned, we're, we're, we're now facing into Holy Week. And I suppose I would like to think that having lived Lent as we have, you know, at a distance maybe and using webcam, nevertheless, we have a sense that Jesus is with us and is, is, is accompanying us at this time. And I suppose maybe a positive thing to, to think of at this time is that people have the webcams. They like to, to tune into the webcams in their own local area. And the other thing about that is that they are praying together at home, you know. So there is an emphasis upon the domestic church. So, and what I'm trying to do there, of course, Michael, is I'm trying to draw the positives out of a, a very difficult kind of situation. Have you any insight for us as to when it might change the circumstances of, of access to churches, to the buildings? No, no, I, I don't at the moment. No, no, I I, I don't. There, there are moves afoot, like we're waiting on on, of course, a government announcement in the next few days, when, when, when that's forthcoming, well, then we can make a decision. Because quite a lot of people are concerned, for example, there's quite a lot of concern 
uh, in this diocese as well around First Holy Communions and confirmations and that. And look, the reality is that um, we cannot, while people are preparing all along for those sacraments and we encourage them to keep preparing, nevertheless, we, we cannot make a decision as to when we can have communions and confirmations until we know that we can return to public worship because schools then need uh, time to prepare uh, the, the children and the parents. And before we finish this evening, of course, Bishop, you're relatively new to the diocese and you gave us a, a great list of names there. Have you yet to visit them, of course? The reality is that I haven't. One of the things is I call myself one of the COVID bishops uh, that I just haven't been out there. Uh, and the way I, I, I work very often is I ring the priests, I ring the people in the parishes, and I have a map of the diocese in front of me. And that's how I, I'm getting to know the place. So that has made it difficult. Now, it has meant over the last six months that I've gotten used to the role somehow of the demands and the responsibilities, the administrative responsibilities. But I haven't. I've missed out on getting my feet on the ground and meeting the people. And I look forward to that whenever that can happen. And like indeed the rest of us, you have some interesting travels ahead for you. Bishop Martin Hayes, thank you for joining us on The Leap of Faith tonight. Thanks again, Michael. God bless. That's the voice of Deirdre Nicaneda from her album Uskal Macree, Open My Heart. Deirdre is a singer, therapist and spiritual director and has, like the rest of us, been in lockdown for the past year. For Deirdre, it's been on Inishmore on the Aran Islands, where she's a retreat centre and it's from where she joins me now. Deirdre, it's a year since we spoke on the programme. How have the last 12 months been for you? Yeah, I have been here on the Aran Islands and... um, it's been, you know, I think everybody talks about like waves of different experiences. I've had very challenging times. I've had very um, creative times. Um, I kind of feel now with the season changing, it's a little bit easier because of the longer evenings and planting in the garden and things like that. But um, it's safe. Uh, it feels like as far as the community is concerned, everybody's following the guidelines. We're held in a very beautiful place. I miss my family. I miss my friends. Um, but we're making the best of it. And I think like everybody else, we're just hoping that things change and move in another direction uh, as soon as possible. So, yeah. The phrase physician heal thyself comes to mind. You're a facilitator and a spiritual director. What have you done <laughs> spiritually for yourself to keep going? Yeah, well, good question, because I had just come back from, you know, being in Australia and America and been all over, you know, facilitating kind of retreats and workshops. And it felt like that I was um, really brought back to myself. And I was reminded of, you know, say the monks who used to be uh, coming to these places of extremity and being in beehive huts. And the idea was, you know, go in there and your cell will teach you everything. So I have had a very, very kind of contemplative experience. How I've been working with it is, um, you know, setting up a daily practice, um, I also uh, have found things like art, which I had never really done. I found every single evening that I would just take out some um, crayons and draw images. And I've been really, really delighted with that and looking at um, putting that now 
into publication as reflective pieces. I linked in a lot with Glenstall Abbey with their Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, I found that very helpful. Uh, very helpful with friends connecting with Zoom and you know all of that kind of thing. And time for prayer, time for listening, time for kind of really hearing what it was that needed to be looked at and needed to be healed. So I've been working internally uh, probably more than I have externally. And uh, it's just been quite a journey. And I think like from talking to a lot of people, we're still in it. You know, we were not out of it yet. So I feel um, it's like even for me, this kind of crossing the threshold now is a great way of coming back into being able to use my music to come back out and to connect with the story that we've all been uh, you know, kind of experiencing over the last year. So I think hope is really, really important. You have uh, a fascinating event coming up on Tuesday, March the 30th in advance of Holy Week. Can you tell us more? Yes, it's called A Threshold for Hope and uh, it's being live streamed through Church Services TV and uh, really excited about just crossing a threshold at this time. Uh, with hope in our hearts. And I suppose it became uh, something that I really felt very passionate about, particularly during these times. Um, a lot of people are kind of feeling very down, very stuck, very, you know, disheartened. And um, looking at all of the work of the frontline workers and, you know, everybody who's really caught in that kind of crisis, I was kind of wondering, is there anything I can do uh, from here, from my home and uh, from the island and uh, just the idea of using music as a language that can touch the hearts of all of us at this time. So um, it just really, Michael, it grew legs. I mentioned it to some friends of mine and a team of four of us got together and we've been working on it and it's going all over the world. So really excited about the fact that you know, next Tuesday at eight o'clock, people are, are kind of connecting from Australia, from Canada. One of my friends in Connemara got an invite to the event from New Zealand. So somebody sent the invite to her from New Zealand. And um, I just feel uh, really delighted that uh, in spite of everything, we are going to gather as a global community and we're going to open this conversation about how important it is to have hope during these times. People talk about music uh, soothing the soul. Uh, how do you use music in that context? And what music will you be using on Tuesday? Yeah, so many years ago, I came to the island um, uh, following uh, work that I've been doing in Bosnia and Kosovo during the war. And I found it a place for my own healing. And at that time, I wrote music uh, which was called Celtic Passage. And it was a very big journey for me um, to try and again come back from a war zone and creatively uh, use music to kind of get some of that out and uh, connects very much into the Celtic Christian spirituality of this uh, place here on the island. So I'll be using music from Celtic Passage. And then about a year ago, I wrote another album, which is called I Will Sing For You. And I call it music to music and songs to soothe the soul. And uh, it's a mixture of songs I'd written and also lovely pieces like The Deer's Cry and lovely anthem to Bridget, uh, Gaumal to Brita. 
And during the pandemic uh, last March, I went to one of the sites on the island and just spoke about um, sending out light from this place and that sense of, you know, uh, almost like being held through this darkness by um, like the, the mother holding a child. And so uh, I actually wrote it when I was in um, Dublin on retreat in Manresa. Um, and there's a beautiful image in the uh, chapel there of the Madonna and child. And I was just walking out by the shore uh, in Clontarf there. And I had a real feeling of the tides, how they change, the tides coming in. There's always new tides, high tides and low tides. And I kind of felt like no matter where we're at, there's going to be a new tide. And I'm very interested in where this new tide will bring us. And uh, there's a nice line um, in the song, which is, my love longs to find you where the ocean meets the shore. And I like that idea that in some way, even through this crisis, that, that kind of message of love trying to find us and carry us through into new tides. Let's hear a moment of that song now. One thing I ask of you, one thing I pray, allow me surround you by night and by day, gently I'll hold you, release any tears that long to The event is called Threshold of Hope. It's on the 30th of March, Tuesday at 8 o'clock. It's an online musical experience with Deirdre Nicanedia. And it's also a free event and people can get more information on churchservices.tv or just have a look for it in the search engine and I'm sure it'll come up. Deirdre Nicanedia, go to Mil Mahogut. This year's annual meeting of the Religious Society of Friends, the Quakers in Ireland, will take place online from the 8th of April and one of the speakers will be Owen Stevenson, who is currently an elder in the church. Owen was in fact born a Catholic and, having studied philosophy and theology, spent 11 years as a Trappist monk with the community of Mount Mellory Abbey in County Waterford. Owen joins me this evening from his home in Limerick. Your own story of faith really begins with your family as you were growing up. I was uh, born a baptised Roman Catholic and raised in uh, a thinking and practising religious family. So if you like a mindful Catholicism and uh, and from there you know following through on that I ended up in in the uh, in my Mallory Abbey in Waterford in the monastic in the monastic community there and uh, that has found a very warm place in my own heart I have to say and I still consider it in many ways my community though it is now very, very much depleted. Uh, most of the men whom I knew there in the community, very fine people, are, uh, have passed on. Uh, what took you from the, uh, that life as a Trappist monk? I suppose uh, looking at it, I found something in me, something human in me was beginning to deteriorate. And my humanity, as I understood it, was beginning to atrophy some. 
And the bits of me, the interior bits of me, I would use to love people with were beginning to shrivel. And I felt that was not something I could uh, afford to have happen and began to explore a little bit. And I have to say, I got wonderful support from the, uh, the community in Mount Mallory and from the abbot at the time. And, uh, you know, the connection has maintained since. But in those circumstances, you know, you cannot afford to lose your capacity to love people. But that led you to the point where you are now, and I believe a recent grandfather. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And our granddaughter is a beautiful child of colour. She's just extraordinarily beautiful. And uh, at this stage, she's just beginning to struggle towards sitting up and making sort of crawling movements and that kind of stuff. But she's quite a a beautiful little girl. What our listeners can't see is how your face lit up when I asked you that. You know, as you say, you, you found yourself married with children, but then your desire for faith what led you towards changing to become a quaker a member of the religious society of friends well i had studied theology in the in the monastery and really enjoy that i finished off my studies in trinity college then to do studies there so you're coming out into the the the, the world of the of the 80s and um with a theology sort of under your belt and a particular understanding of uh, of the world and uh, I did find that uh, I found sermons a bit difficult to take. I was good a man's and your uh, well patriarchy, perhaps uh, uh, presuming uh, a sort of presumption that people were uh, not versed in either scripture or theology or so on. So there's a kind of a growing sense of frustration and alienation in the, you know, in liturgical life. And um, I came home after Mass one Sunday giving out yards and uh, my wife said, you know, there is a Quaker meeting downtown. Why don't you uh, call in there and see what they got, you know? And uh, I duly did. (laughs) And um, I arrived at the door and uh, the Quaker waiting outside, as would be usual, and he just said, welcome. You go in there and the room is at the back. And I walked into the room and it was painted white with benches all around the side. And there were a group of people sitting there in silence. And from someone from a monastic background, I felt really at home, mm. you know, so uh, and that began the, the journey. And I had found, if you like, a home and a new community. Mm-hmm. And it's something you essentially need in Christianity, I think, is a community connection. You, that, that's part of the deal, in a sense. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. Did, did your training for the monastic life in any way help your mind adjust to the, to the silence uh, of the prayer room? Uh, I felt completely at home. Absolutely. Absolutely. And monastic life is not always silent. It's actually quite noisy at times. <laughs> uh, if you look at the bits that make it up, there's, there's singing you know, uh, reading uh, aloud in church and uh, then in the quiet of your room and so on. Uh, The parts that make it up give you a very humane kind of balance of work and prayer and study and reflection and so on. And you're set out in nature working on the farm. You're looking at the things that are around you, the trees, so on, uh, birdsong. You learn to listen and silence Silent worship is essentially kind of an attentive listening 
we are listening for the divine voice or listening to the condition of the others in the room because someone may be in distress or someone may be something to celebrate uh, people are in various conditions when they when they come but it did help me very much to to uh, quaker silent worship and monastic silence have a lot in common Let's move on to the uh, annual meeting, the uh, Ireland uh, yearly meeting, which is being held online between the 8th and 11th of April. And there's a public lecture on the 9th of April. We'll put the details on our own website. It's Resurrection and Personality. You're giving that lecture. Can Mm. you give a sneak peek of what it is you intend to talk about? Well, I was asked if I would do the lecture. I was told I could choose my own topic, and so I choose resurrection and personality. Um, Resurrection because it's basic to Christianity. If this didn't happen, we're on the wrong wicket here, you know. Um, It is the the core and the beginning of discipleship, really. And um, if you look at the resurrection accounts, then they are a bit tricky to read because they're quite different and they're all over the place a little bit. Times are confused, different things happen here and there. You've uh, lights and you've a mountain and you've a journey to the lay to Galilee and uh, people in different situations is happening for them. So they're tricky to read. They're also trying to put over a message someone who is dead is alive. And that's, uh, if you can understand the disciples at the time, they have something of a, of a communications problem, really. Uh, one of the reactions was that they'd been at the wine too early in the morning, you know. It was, uh, um, listening, you listen to the resurrection narratives in a very particular way. Um, and I would connect that to personality because and I would use personality in a very functional kind of sense that is easily recognizable. You know, you meet someone, you'll assess the kind of person they are a bit, uh, how they think, their mind, their intellect, their feelings, their emotions, their, you know, their cultural background, all these things come together to make up each individual. And as an individual, then we, we react to the life around us in a certain way. And I would use the idea of open personality, where you're using all the bits that you are at your disposal, your mind, your feelings, your emotions, your training, your education, your background, to try and ascertain the truthfulness of things. And that does lead you off into quite interesting areas of aesthetics, bordering on the mystic. And um, I think that's a very interesting journey for people to travel anyway. There's a third element involved in the resurrection events in that there is a direct action of God in people's lives. And this is an element that for Quakers, it would be a very central thing for Quakers that the divine does operate in our lives as such. So you've got these three elements. The intervention can happen in the most ordinary of ways. St. Teresa of Avila had the example of God moves between the pots and pans in the kitchen. And I think she was fending off the, uh, she was directing the sisters under her charge to move away from elevated mysticism to an encounter, a real encounter with the real divine in the ordinary moments of your ordinary life. And this is really where the resurrection, if you like, impacts. Uh, You're really talking about a current presence of the divine in ordinary living. Do you need it to keep you going? The idea of resurrection. Um, that's a difficult question, Michael. I'm because you you can keep your life going on quite a human level. 
you know, looked at in the cold light of day, uh, loving people, being loved. Um, these are just wonderful things. And uh, if I didn't have faith, I would certainly have that. And uh, that would <laughs> that does keep me going, I can tell you. Um, the divine element fits into human life in a very discreet kind of way, without interfering and without dumbing down or without blinding the intellect. And I think that is, uh, that is very important for me. Uh, I probably could survive because I'm surrounded by rather lovely people. Um, but then there are some folk who are not surrounded by lovely people and who do have very difficult lives. And uh, that is really something to be, to be thought about. But to answer your question, possibly. Uh, in, in practice, not at all. Well, the lecture is called Resurrection and Personality, delivered by our guest, Owen Stevenson. It's a public lecture, Owen. I believe that anybody can sign up to the event. They can, yes. And Quaker public lectures are a bit funny in that we begin in worship in silence. I speak when I feel moved so to do. When we finish, we finish in silence and I escape <laughs> without anyone asking questions, you know. But they get their own back on Sunday afternoon and uh, the, there will be a section of the yearly meeting where... Uh, I will be um, talking to Quakers about what I've said and they'll be asking me questions and so on. Well, that's on Friday the 9th of April at uh, half past seven and it should be over in time for you to join us again on The Leap of Faith. Owen, thank you very much for joining us on the programme tonight. We'll put a link to the event on our own website, which is rte.ie forward slash leap. Thanks, Owen. Thank you very much, Michael. It's been a privilege to be on your programme. Thank you. Next Friday... Music for Galway and Galway 2020 will stream Passio, St John's Passion, by Avo Part, live from St Nicholas's Collegiate Church, Galway, for Good Friday at 5 o'clock. Written by the Estonian composer in 1982, it's one of the best-known choral works of the late 20th century. Passio is a setting of the Latin text from the Gospel of John. This production features many of Galway's best-known musicians and following next Friday's performance, there'll be a Good Friday gathering on the Leap of Faith with the production's musical director, Mark Dooley, as well as composer James Macmillan and Deborah Kelleher, director of the Royal Irish Academy of Music, as we celebrate and discuss the music associated with the passion. And that's our Leap of Faith for this evening. Our producer is Sheila O'Callaghan, our broadcast coordinator is Jarlath Holland. From them and me, Michael Cummin, good night. <laughs>